So this summer is about travel, but for the past few years I've I've been on a journey, uh, quite intense at some moments, and now I long to travel to take a break from the long journey that I started when I left my regular job as a diplomat, that is now six years ago, and in that job there was you know, the paycheck came in at the end of each month, independent of my workload or even if I'd been on holiday. Um, that was such a regular life. And um, it's it's now quite different. It's now half a year ago that I made my very first podcast. I've been in podcasts before. I was quite often interviewed about things like planetary security and climate change that I was working for. Um, many people had suggested that I should do something as a podcast Um and uh, I had never really thought about it seriously. But uh, now, after half a year and some 80 podcasts, uh, it's, a, it's a good moment to look back. I, I might make a full podcast about my podcasting experiences and my lessons learned, and uh, those may be useful for you as well. But now I just have a few thoughts uh, before I may move in, in other directions for this evening. In the past year, I've... Uh, taken up, or in the past few years, I should say, I've taken up at least one new project for my social media every year. So in 2020, I set myself a challenge to make an Alex note every day. I made 365 of them, 366, I suppose, because of it was 2020. Um, these were electronically made sketches uh, of a picture or sometimes a compilation of pictures. And I started to add more and more text to it. And they became unreadable Twitter, uh, except for a small group of affectionados that really liked them and that took the effort to zoom out and to try to read everything that I've scribbled on there. And from that, it was a kind of logical development in the next year that this this kind of storytelling in a picture that I did led to an initiative where I started to write newsletters on Substack. And the timing was ideal. I was... Uh, I'd moved to, to Canada, I was living in the winter of Ottawa where the cold keeps you inside and where the COVID measures were so strict in Canada that nobody ever met anybody else. So it was the ideal moment to start writing. There was just so much time available and I loved doing it and I still love to, to, to write them. And the frequency was a bit down when I started podcasting this year, uh, but as you've noticed, it's, it's increasing again in, in the last months. And sometimes I added an Alex note to these newsletters as a kind of wink to the past year, but especially to build upon your past. And this year, the central project is podcasting. I've, I've learned a lot in these months, and I actually I learned a lot from each of these projects. So for these Alex notes, for instance, I learned a lot about techniques, how to make these, and what works and what doesn't work with the audience, and how do you combine... Um, a picture or a sketch uh, with text and, and what themes work well with the audience. And those new Substack newsletters, they, they build upon that. But I also learned a lot on not just how to write in a foreign language, because English is... I didn't speak a word of English when I was 12. I uh, really had to, to, to start learning English at that age. Um, and I still make a lot of mistakes. But I, le I learned much more about the themes and, and the messaging and the variety in subjects and, and how to combine writing with photography and with sketches. And 
Then there are all these lessons that I learned from the past half year of podcasting. There were a lot of technical challenges. I'm not at all a technical wizard, so this call-in app is about as far as I can get uh, in, in technology. Um, but I've also spoken of the challenge to how to just fill a silence with your voice. Because like a painter starts on a blank canvas, or as we recently discussed in one of the podcasts, how pop singers start with, let's say, three or four minutes of silence. They can, they can fill it. It's, it's the same with a podcast. Uh, you don't see the audience. I'm just sitting alone here in a room and I'm talking. And you can't react to, to the expressions of the audience. I've worked a lot as a public speaker. Actually, that's what I did most in the past six years since I, since I left diplomacy. I, I worked as a public speaker, but I never sat in a room just talking into a microphone. And it was a weird experience to do that for the very first time. And um, so what did I do with these podcasts? I set up uh, different uh, forms. Uh, there was um, uh, the, the interviews, which I think from looking back at all those podcasts, I think maybe the best ones were some of these interviews. They were so interesting. And that's certainly something I'm evaluating a bit now what to do um, after the summer. I think those interviews will certainly stay because I, I learned a lot from it. And I've spoken to so many interesting people um, so I'll, I'll keep that. I really enjoyed uh, working with Alistair and with Vanessa. Those are two other forms with Alistair Doyle. Um, the the uh, central theme is always what, what's happening to our planet. So the climate change and biodiversity loss and uh, pollution problems and also the whole political context uh, that we are working in because he has worked as environmental correspondent, uh, correspondent for Reuters for, for like forever. So he knows so much about these things. And then uh, the ones with Vanessa are on green living, all kinds of aspects of kind of related to what I work on with Alistair, but it's more smaller scale and it's more what you can do yourself for greener life and, and things that start with yourself. What can you do in your house? What can you do in your garden? How can... How can you at city level uh, change things in, in, in more cycling, getting greener cities um, <clears throat> and biophilic design? And then there's the monologues, which I must admit, I find the most scary thing, as I just said, you just just doing it yourself. Um, but it, it is a, it's good to set a challenge uh, sometimes. Um, and uh, from each of these different forms, I learned a lot. Um, and I learned a lot from the themes that we discussed. And I, I think all of these forms will stay in some form or another. Um, but later this month, when I'm really filling my backpack and going to places where there's hardly any connection possible, uh, I think temporarily the frequency will go down and by early August it will go up again. And you must remember to drink water when you are talking. So <clears throat> where to go from here? Um, yeah, so I ordered a backpack at Amazon. Uh, it came wrapped in uh, more plastic than the backpack itself was made of, but that is Amazon. Um, uh, that was a few weeks ago, and I must admit I didn't even fit it until I uh, stepped in the plane a couple of days ago. Um, so I plan to fill it with some bare necessities and then start to travel more. And that's for me a long time ago that I backpacked. I backpacked in my 20s uh, in Asia and in Mexico and, and all over Europe. 
and in America. Um, but it will be difficult to, to keep podcasting. So yeah, as I said, the frequency will become a bit less in, in the summer. Um, but I might go for something new. Maybe I will, while traveling, go for really short updates, just a few minutes. Uh, it's a bit like sending a postcard home as you did in the old days, but then as a spoken message, just saying, hey guys, I'm standing here and I see whatever it is, old church and, and uh, this is a bit of the history and this is what I'm doing here and these are my plans. Um, just saying hello to the audience. And that is typically something I want to do in this second channel, uh, which still has the completely wrong title with news in it. Um, I'll, I'll find a new title, something like whatever. The summer updates is maybe a good word, but I'll, I'll think of something and I'll give it a better, better logo. Um, and yeah, what I will do this summer, apart from these, these short podcasts, which will be infrequent, I will focus more on, um, on the visual communications, especially photography. I think you will see more photos uh, than I showed you in, in the past half year. Uh, perhaps a bit more video that might be a project to pick up next year because I'm already thinking about what the central project will be next year. And there will, of course, be the newsletter because from all the products that I make, my tweets and my videos and Instagram and photos and podcasts and Alex notes and newsletters, etc., it is the newsletters that I like most of all. I think that's been the most fun projects. I get the most enjoyment from from writing them and it's um, it's it's nice also to have a paying audience because uh, increasingly the people that pay for it make it for me possible to go to places and 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 write about it so um, I I hope that it's the same for you as as reader or as viewer or as listener that you see the the newsletter as the kind of core um, of the products that I make and that that brings me actually to what I really wanted to talk about because I went in completely different directions as I do so often, especially when I don't even give you a chance to uh, intervene intervene in some way. Uh, what I wanted to talk about was the trip so far because as you will remember, um, I counted the days between leaving Ottawa for New York and the day that I planned to be back home in Ottawa in late September. Um, a rough count uh, brought me to 127 days. Um, I just realized it's now nearly two weeks. Today is day 13. And after Canada and the US, I'm briefly back in Canada and now in the Netherlands. Um, I'm now in country number three. And I already updated you about the New York City experience and the, the huge contrasts that I noticed between the US and Canada, which I had never noticed so stark before. As I said, I normally arrive in, in any of these two countries from, uh, from Europe. Uh, so there's already so much contrast between Europe and Canada or between Europe and, uh, and the US uh, that you miss all the nuances. But now I cross from the Canadian-US border uh, into uh, upstate New York, uh, which is quite different uh, from New York City in, in many aspects. So uh, there was a lot of contrast. I, I'd been, I'd crossed the Canadian-US border several times before, but that was always between British Columbia and Washington. And there you don't see uh, too much differences uh, if you go from, from the one country to the other. So I thought that was, uh, that was 
remarkable. And I must say, the times that I crossed before on that border, but much more to the west, that was also in the pre-Trump days. So I think there's uh, there's a difference there as well. The countries were maybe more aligned um, uh, or more alike uh, than than they are uh, these days. Um, but I loved it so much uh, to be back in New York City. And um, you can expect more pictures and stories of New York City uh, next year because I won't wait another three years before I'll be back. Just uh, the pandemic got in between. Um, but I had so much more stories and material to share, uh, which which I planned to send out during my brief stay back, uh, back home in Ottawa. I remember I have uh, a video of turtles that I found in... Um, or tortoises, I'm never sure which one is what uh, in the English language, uh, in, in, in the lake of, um, uh, of Central Park. And I got, got quite a few other things that I still want to share. But yeah, I'm already two countries further, so I'm not sure what to do with it. Maybe I'll throw them on uh, Buy Me A Coffee, which is a much smaller audience of, of just 15 or 20 people uh, that follow me there, because it's a bit weird when I'm in the Netherlands to still uh, post things about New York. Um, but what happened is that I came back in Ottawa and I was there. The main plan was to do a bit of laundry, uh, replace my suitcase uh, for the backpack that was still in a box um, and then fly off to Europe. But when I arrived uh, in this city of about a million people, there were hundreds of thousands of people, originally 900,000 people that had no electricity. And when I arrived, it was about four days, I think, after a huge storm had passed. And um, my house was still pitch dark. And I had to find my way in my own house by using the light of my iPhone. Um, so during the day, I could charge my phone in a nearby office. And uh, there was light and warm water. And I could even shower there. Uh, but with all that was going on, there just wasn't much time uh, to work on uh, on those New York City memories. So. Who knows, they might still pop up at, uh, if I find a quiet moment somewhere. And then last Friday, uh, I took the bus from Ottawa to Montreal, and I flew from there to Amsterdam. And the jet lag just hit me. It's, it's like getting worse each time that I fly east, or each time that I get older when I fly east, and now my mid-50s, that is... I, I just need days to, uh, to, get, uh, to get back in shape. Um, which is a huge contrast to the past where I remember coming back from UN meetings in New York that I just, uh, from the airport, I went home, I took a shower, changed my clothes, and I just went to the office and I worked a whole day. I can't imagine doing that anymore. So now leaving at six in the afternoon for a flight of six hours, that means that you arrive in Amsterdam when, for me as a passenger, it feels like midnight and it's time to go to sleep. But as soon as you got your backpack and you walk outside it's like seven o'clock in the morning there's bright sunlight shining in your eyes and people are drinking their first coffees and you've just completely uh, skipped a whole night and it takes takes time for your mind and your body to uh, to adjust but anyway it brought me uh, it brought me back to the island and um, I wrote so much about this island with the hard to pronounce name of Schouwen Duiveland uh, and uh, especially last summer, I think I about, wrote about um, uh, about 50 uh, stories about uh, that I called my uh, my island uh, stories. 
And meanwhile, I'm looking at the, at the comments that I see. They usually listen to David playing by that lake. Yes, I know exactly where David is playing, Evelyn. Uh, I've seen him playing live, actually. Um, and that's, uh, that's the lake in uh, Central Park. Um, so, yeah, so I wrote about 50 of these, uh, these island stories. And for, for those of you who haven't followed those, um, what I did last, last uh, summer, I uh, traveled on this island. It's actually the biggest island in the Netherlands, uh, which isn't much because the Netherlands is smaller than quite a few Canadian islands. But actually, for the Netherlands, this is uh, the biggest island that we have. And I described what I saw. I wrote about local history, and I wrote about um, some of the, the other islands of the province of Zealand, because that's where you find this island. It's in the uh, southwest uh, corner of the Netherlands. So it's basically, the Netherlands is a, a delta of, of some of the biggest rivers of, of Europe that all all end here in, in Zealand. So it's the area south of, uh, of Rotterdam. Um, <coughs> it has a very um, fascinating history of the people fighting against the water, making use of the sea for trade and for fishing, but also fighting the, 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 the sea. And if you follow, for instance, the coastline of this island, everywhere is the stories of uh, villages that have disappeared, just very close to my village. There's 12 uh, villages that have just over the centuries disappeared into the water. And from one of these villages is still the church tower uh, standing. And so I wrote, for instance, about that church tower. I went there, I walked to the top, I took pictures from there, and I described uh, the story of that uh, that village. And, and why is particularly this island? Well, my roots are from this island, uh, from the island of Schouwen. There used to be two islands, and later they grew together. Schouwen and Duiveland became Schouwen-Duiveland. And... The biggest city that we have on the island is the town of Sierikzee that in the 17th century was a really important city. But then it uh, completely uh, fell in really bad economic times, which is good for us because uh, for so many centuries, nobody really invested in the city. They just they just kept the houses that were there. So if you now go to Sierikzee, it's just like one big monument. It's fascinating to... Uh, to 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 see that that old city uh, getting getting back to life because of tourism because people like it so much so that brings in quite a bit of money I think especially Germans and Belgians um, they're basically the only tourists we ever see on the island I've never ever seen an American uh, on this island in all the 30 years that I go here they all seem to go to Amsterdam uh, but this is actually quite a beautiful place. Uh, to look around. So, yeah, my oldest ancestor, um, Thomas Verbeek, the, the oldest one I could trace back, uh, then we talk about uh, 7040 or 7050. Um, he came from Zierikzee, which is just a 10, 15 minute uh, drive uh, from where I am on the same island. It's, it's just, it's the nearest town from where I am. And um, maybe that makes why I feel so much at home here. I come here all my life. I came here for the first time when I was seven years old, so that is like nearly 50 years ago now. And um, and when I come back here, the first thing I always do is to make some time to immediately go back into nature, which I don't have to drive there. I can just walk from my home, and in about five minutes, I leave the town behind me or the village. It's just 4,000 people here spread out over five villages. And... Um, 
and and the nature is just so spectacular and yesterday i made a really long walk it was something like 13 14 kilometers i guess uh, which is in miles something like nine miles maybe so i walked for hours and i uh, made a lot of photos and a lot of lot of video so i might i might use that in in the days to come um so what you have around you here on close to home it's it's all so beautiful there's there's a few very very different nature areas so if i go west of the village i go to the old inland dunes that i wrote about in my latest newsletter that i sent out last night i think or early this morning maybe um where, where i wrote it's it's the one where i wrote about the flowers so this is the zeepedown where the, the the water is seeping uh, through the sand so the the seeping dunes you could could call it it's it's very good quality drinking water by the way so you also find a water industry nearby it's one of the bigger uh, utilities that we have in the neighborhood um, and that is a unique um, nature area in the Netherlands because everywhere else these old dunes were uh, changed into um, the areas where we grow tulips so if you, I don't know if you have the map of the Netherlands in, in your hand, but if you land at Amsterdam, you're a, a bit away from the coastline, let's say about 40 kilometers. So the area between, let's say, Schiphol Airport and the North Sea, that is the area, at least when you go a bit closer to the North Sea, that is the area where we did dig off the old dunes, because that is the ideal ground to grow tulips, which is a major source of of both pride and income uh, for netherlands that's also the area where i grew up and i grew up in the middle of those uh, tulip fields i recently wrote about uh, a painting that uh, uh, claude monet uh, painted uh, in uh, i think it was during the franco-prussian uh, war of um, uh, of of 1873 i think and in in those years no that's not right then he fled to uh, london but a couple of years later, he was invited uh, back here uh, to the Netherlands by the French ambassador. So he came for two weeks and painted here a lot. And one of the paintings he made is actually on a spot that I passed practically every day in the in the days that I that I went to a high school. It's a it's quite a famous painting. It's one of his best paintings of tulip fields that he ever made. Um, so that's where I grew up. But here on the island, because it was so poor uh, here, and we were so isolated and if you grew tulip bulbs here you couldn't export them in time to to the market uh, they left this area alone so this area the zepedana these 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 inland dunes are really fascinating to walk around so yesterday i saw so many flowers i've heard so many different birds and um, the area is maintained by uh, keeping uh, small uh, ponies there there's there's about 100 or 150 i think 150 by now shetland ponies and a few dartmoors uh, are there i didn't see those this time but i believe there's about 10 of them so they they uh, they make sure that it remain dunes because there's so much uh, nitrogen nowadays in in the atmosphere that the soil is becoming too fertile so if you don't um, if you don't keep animals there that also replace uh, the rabbits that used to be there, but we lost them to myxomatosa in the in the 1970s. Um, so so they they keep it like a dune landscape, and they also have those um, 
what do you call them? These these uh, Scotland Highlander cows, and they're they're magnificent animals, and they, they, and they all just walk in the wilds. You you just have to uh, to keep your your distance. Uh, there's a few cases elsewhere in the Netherlands where people have been attacked by them in in very unusual circumstances. But normally you just uh, stay away. Um, unlike the woman who was just uh, attacked by a buffalo in America, I read earlier today. Um, so basically we're safe and, and those horses are just absolutely lovely. Um, in, in another nature area I wrote about last year, it's on the next island, we have konings. Co people call them koning horses, so that's a bit double. Then you say the Polish word for horse and then you say horse, so you say horse horses. But we have koning um, horses there. Uh, they are more wild. You really have to uh, to, to to keep more distance. Uh, they're a bit bit more aggressive. Beautiful uh, horses. I hope to uh, show more of them too. So that is the 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 area I walked through. But there's quite different nature areas because then I walked into the forest. And yeah, maybe tomorrow, day after tomorrow, when I have some time, I'll, I'll share some photos and, uh, and 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 maybe a bit of video. So then I walked through the forest. I. Uh, I went to a beautiful lake where there's just nobody there, even though tourist season has started here already. I just got this this whole beautiful lake with the reflections of the trees there, and it's just such a wonderful spot to be. And from there, I uh, I walked on to all the way to the beach, and then I uh, I walked a long stretch on the beach. Um, I met only one group of, of three Germans that asked me some questions. And for the rest, it's it was just absolutely abandoned there, and it's just beautiful white beaches. It's it's such an amazing spot. And when it gets a bit warmer, early in the morning, I just wake up, get on my bicycle, I I bike there. I walk the past ten minutes because at a certain moment you can't bike any further because of the sand. And then I take a swim there, and then I then I cycle back home. But the water is still too cold, at least for my taste. And um, and then I walk back again through through the forest and uh, first the dunes and then the, the outside dunes, uh, the, which are really very bare, and then through the forest and then through these inland zeepedunen, uh, as I mentioned them. But if I go south from my village, there's a completely different area. The, there's um, a, a wetland area, so it's more. It's either agricultural land or uh, closer to the dikes, and that's that's all. I mean, closer, that is the furthest part away, but it's only two kilometers. I mean, things are small in my country. But uh, there is uh, brackish, uh, salty water uh, seeping through the dikes, and you get a kind of wetland area, and that has um, uh, all kinds of uh, tiny little islands and little pools of water i mean islands then i talk about you know as 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 big at, as as the table that i'm sitting on but enough for birds to uh, to lay their eggs and because that water has different salinity and different uh different other qualities in in nutrition and temperature etc you get all kinds of different birds that are um, uh, stopping there to to lay their eggs to to regain their strength to get some some feed and some of them, they start their journeys in Siberia and they fly all the way to Northern Africa. And for them, it's a really important to have a nature area here where they can stop. And then on the other side of the dike, uh, you get into the, um, the Eastern Skeld uh, waters. Um, 
which is for those that like history, it's it's the part where that separates uh, the southern part that was already liberated by the Canadians because we needed the access to Antwerp Harbor. Um, and that was in about November 44. But anything north of it that starts with this island uh, was the part that remained occupied until uh, the 7th of May in uh, 45. Um, so, and this, this water that separates it, which is, I would guess, about eight or 10 kilometers wide, um, that is uh, now a beautiful nature area. You have like um, dolphins kind of, of uh, animals, we call them brownfish, uh, that are swimming there. You see them coming up, they come about six times, they get some oxygen, after the sixth time they have enough, and then they dive deeper, and then it takes a bit of a while, and then somewhere else you see them coming up again. And that is actually the biggest nature, protected nature area that, uh, that we have in the Netherlands. And part of it is, is the island where I'm living on, Another part, the main part, is uh, is the water, and um, yeah, I could I could go on and on for hours about um, uh, the beauty of this island. I probably might in in more uh, podcasts, and certainly in uh, in in, uh, in newsletters uh, uh, to uh, to share. But yeah, so um, I'll write about the horses. I saw quite a few deer actually yesterday. Um, we have two kinds of deer, and I just don't know. Uh, their their names in English. I should look that up. But there used to be only the ones that we call reyen. Uh, those are a bit a bit smaller ones, more 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 gentle in a way, more more a bit the Bambi kind of uh, deer you would say. Um, but then a, a bigger type escaped about ten years ago from an enclosure, and uh, and there they were protected animals. But now that they escaped into this nature area. Uh, their population is growing fast to the detriment of, of the types that are already there. Um, and now there's a huge debate whether or not um, they should be shot and uh, because there's there's no natural predators there. So they are they are eating too much um, of, of the, the, the biodiverse um, area that we have there. And they don't really belong there. So, well... Uh, animal lovers and nature lovers are in a, in an interesting uh, debate there. Um, so, yeah, so what are um, the next plans? Um, Brussels is coming up uh, in a couple of days. I, um, I will I'll be there for my work. I'm still policy director of uh, a think tank in Brussels, uh, even though I'm mainly living in Ottawa these days. Um, so I'll be, um, I'll be chairing um, a, um, a meeting on... A typical planetary security related uh, issues or the impact of climate change on security and especially the question what NATO is doing on it. Um, that's probably something I don't uh, don't write about because I promise to write about happy issues um, and I think anything NATO is related to, uh, especially in these days, is uh, too many of these subjects that I like to avoid because I work too much on them. Um, I will likely be in Bonn uh, in, in a not too far uh, distant future, somewhere in, in, in the next weeks, um, which is actually why I postponed other, other plans. Um, so I'll, I'll be in Bonn for a meeting on water and wastewater. So that's uh, uh, talking with some people of the UN and uh, some, some people of the, of the German government. Um, so those are um, uh, some new plans. After that, I'm, I'm aiming for either for, or for France or the UK. Uh, so that brings uh, the number of countries that I visited uh, to six by then. 
Um, but that depends very much on the weather and on a, ooh, a few other factors. So I'm not really sure yet uh, where life will bring me in the, in the weeks to come. But this is very roughly the schedule. It's literally changing by the day. Uh, yesterday, I still thought I had another schedule. So um, that's the good thing about uh, a summer of uh, 127 days, that there's so much flexibility um, to um, to go everywhere. Um, in... Uh, I could I could go on talking forever. Let's let's have a look if there's anything in the in the chat that I've missed. Yes, I see all kinds of things that I've missed. Um, yes, we spoke about uh, David, uh, one of my favorite guitarists, uh, playing. He's the guitar man in Central Park, uh, playing uh, playing by the lake. Uh, more island stories, please. Yes, I have. I actually have a few in mind that I wanted to write last year, um, but I. Uh, I didn't get to it. Um, I think one uh, fascinating one is uh, the jail in uh, the town of Zierikzee that um, has a four, uh, it has non-stop been in use as a jail for 400 years. Uh, you can imagine that uh, the quality standards and the approach to jailing people has changed a bit over those 400 years. Um, so the torture instruments uh, have been removed. Um, but the uh, remarks that uh, the survivors of those methods uh, made uh, carved into the wooden walls are still there. And this is uh, it's quite a fascinating place uh, to, uh, to, to, to visit. And even at the end of the Second World War, the Dutch collaborators that, that, uh, that collaborated with the, the, the occupiers of, of our island um, they they were also locked up there, so it's um, it's fascinating history. It was one of the stories I wanted to write last year. I got quite a few more. Um, I suppose, especially in August, I might pick up um, on those uh, on those stories. That seems to be good uh, good months for that. Uh, yes, the eighteen seventy seventy one. That is the the Franco German War, I think, right? Um, so I think, if I remember correctly, um, uh, Monet fled to uh, to London, and that's when he uh, painted. He was in the Savoy Hotel, um, and from there he uh, he painted uh, the Houses of Parliament, probably the most famous one, and two of those bridges. And one of those bridges was actually uh, for sale just a couple of days ago. And uh, that is a unique moment because it doesn't happen often. Most of them are in the hands of uh, museums. There are still a few... Um, of of this uh, British uh, series uh, that are in hands of uh, of individuals, and one of those was sold just just somewhere last week. Um, so Monet went actually twice uh, to the Netherlands, and there's about a five six year uh, gap in between. He went to Zandam, which is west of um, uh, west of Amsterdam, uh, and he went to uh, to the area further further down south. Um, at the area where I grew up, which is around the city of, of Leiden. And Leiden is the uh, the kind of Oxford or Cambridge of the Netherlands. That's the, the oldest university city uh, established in uh, as a university in uh, 1575. Um, are you going to do another video of you on your bike? That was fun. Yes, I nearly killed myself. Um, okay, I'll promise to do that. Um, I was um, uh, taking the 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 few hills that we have in the Netherlands, which is in the dunes, uh, with um, uh, just one hand on my steering wheel and the other hand holding an iPhone, 
Um, and sometimes there are other cyclists there. I'll do it early in the morning. Then I got the place uh, for myself. Okay, I um, I got a promise there. Um, I'll do it in August uh, when I when I have more time here. Uh, happy birthday for David. And what do I see? Have you been to Luxembourg? Uh, I love Luxembourg. I haven't been there apart from from a business meeting that I had a couple of years ago. But I haven't been there for a while. I used to go camping there. Um, it is great walking. Uh, it's a fascinating country with a fascinating history. Um, and yeah, I, I love the nature there. It's quite a that's 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 the best thing. And the food actually, I got good memories of uh, of a restaurant that became a kind of favorite restaurant where I've been back quite a few times. That uh, was uh, very close to uh, to getting a Michelin star by the time that I um, that I visited them. Um, I I don't have Luxembourg on my itinerary for this summer, but um, but yeah, I would uh, I would love to uh, love to go back there. Um, what what about your summer plans? Um, if anybody wants to type in the chat, if if somebody has plans of where you want to go to, because I'm just talking nonstop and I'm getting at at the end of my um, um, uh, uh, at the end of my voice, it's it's getting uh, it's getting quite a bit lower. I noticed. I'll sip a bit of water. Um, but if anybody has uh, summer, um, either summer suggestions of what I should write about, or uh, if um, if you know where you are going or where you would like to be going, uh, you can type them in the chat and I can take some water. Mm. And anybody that has questions or comments, uh, just um, uh, just raise your uh, raise your hand. Um, I don't see anybody. Um, reacting anymore so maybe with that um i should uh, stop the longest monologue that i've ever done um this was uh something like what is it this is nearly 40 minutes of talking um okay that's maybe a maybe a skill that i learned or maybe a bad habit that i should uh, that i should lose uh, but the fact that you're still listening is either um very polite of all of you um, or maybe you'd like to uh, to follow up. So this is where I am. Uh, this is day 13 uh, on a 127-day trip. Uh, I am in what is my other home. Uh, this is uh, a small house in the center of a small traditional village. On very old maps, you can already see uh, this village, especially the castle that was built in 1200 something early 13th century uh that is just a stone throw away from from this house um so this is an, an a small house in a small village but there's a lot of history actually the history of the house where i'm sitting since i still have the floor um this house is uh number three in a row of three houses that were built in 1900 but in January 1945, there has been a bit of a mysterious bombardment here uh, of the RAF that bombed the village, uh, killed about 20 people. Two of them were German soldiers and the other 18 or 20 um, were just villagers. And uh, nobody ever really understood why um, they bombed this village. There was no strategic region uh, reason at all to do that. Anyway, one of those bombs fell exactly on the spot where I am sitting right now. So of those, the row of three houses, number three was just completely blown away. So in 1947, 
they built uh, a new house for an older lady who uh, was living here. And I know the stories from my neighbor who has my age and who um, is living in the house where he was born, which I think is fascinating. I don't know anybody else in the world who's living in a house where they were born. Um, and he can tell me all the stories about his aunts and the mother of his aunt and I think the grandmother of his aunt who have all lived there. He knows everybody in the village. So he tells me all the stories about uh, about his house. I'm sitting in a quite a small room, uh, but he could tell me that this room was actually split, split into three rooms, uh, including a tiny corridor uh, to get to the other rooms. Um, so that's those are the kind of stories I know about this house. So this is a bit of World War II history uh, mixed with nature, and this is uh, kind of where suddenly uh, World War II comes very close if um, if you just realize how different his house would have looked if the bomb would not have um, uh, fallen here. Um, so I have no idea how I got uh, to that subject. Um, having said that, uh, yeah, so this is the kind of home base for these 127 days, but I will, I have plans to go into all kinds of uh, directions. And I will just, um, I will keep you informed and you all know how to reach me um, either on this app, uh, but maybe on uh, direct mail, on Twitter or an email, etc. Um, because I wonder um, what you think of these kind of monologues, because this is rather new for me. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a diplomat, I'm trained to talk. Uh, and I'm a public speaker, so I can I can talk forever. Uh, but as I said, it's a bit strange to sit in in, in a quiet room in a quiet village uh, all alone, and uh, and then talking. But it's good to see your faces, so I know that there's uh, that there's an audience. So if when I look at that, that is a bit like I'm looking at you, uh, and I see um, I see an audience. So uh, with that, uh, I will end this. I will be back tomorrow uh, with Alistair for the regular podcast, which I normally do at uh, three o'clock my afternoon in Ottawa. But now I have to experience what um, uh, Alistair is always experiencing, that it is at nine o'clock uh, Central European time. So tomorrow evening, um, Alistair and I will be back. As usual, we have no clue yet what we will be talking about, um, but you may expect uh, anything that has to do with uh, nature, conservation, with climate change, uh, with the challenges that we have on uh, this planet. And we might give a bit of uh, comment on our leaders that are not doing enough uh, at this time of an environmental emergency, uh, although I do have some sympathy that they are uh, distracted uh, by other issues these days. So um, uh, please uh, all come back. I see that there's a few last comments that I missed uh, after Luxembourg. Uh, too many places I want to visit uh, to put them all in here. Belgium is on the list and possibly Zealand. You're most welcome, uh, Waterhoentje. And Belgium is also a fascinating country in so many aspects. So I can really uh, recommend that. Um, I see, um, I'm off to uh, France, says Michael, uh, to work on uh, the old farm I'm rebuilding. It was bought by my grandfather, what a great-grandfather, what a 
an amazing story. Uh, next time, Michael, please call in and tell us, uh, because this sounds like a fascinating story. It's actually a bit of a dream um, to rebuild an old farm in France. Uh, I would love to hear more. Please uh, please join the next time, maybe on Sunday, um, and, and, and tell us a bit about uh, what's, what's going on. I would love to hear. I would love to be the one asking questions uh, on this one. And then Evelyn says, I'll be walking a lot next week and then I have a longer holiday in September. Lucky you. Uh, you might visit France uh, and you need to go back to Norway, which is fascinating for walking. If you are in the southwest, in the Stavanger area, the Prekestule and so, that is just so beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful spots in the world I've ever been. Um, and I've been saying that I will marry a Norwegian this year for a while. Uh, but you haven't met that person yet. So, yeah, go for Norway, because I guess that will um, uh, very likely increase your chances of meeting a Norwegian, uh, although I always have the impression that about half of the population of Norway um, is abroad. Uh, but at least the concentration of Norwegians is much higher. Uh, and you have to hurry up, uh, because uh, there's, there's only about... Uh, about uh, what is it uh, seven months left or so so um, it's about time to uh, to start looking for that date um, i wish you luck um with that thanks so much i just spoke 45 minutes uh, to all of you and um uh, please uh, be back tomorrow uh we'll be uh, more serious on serious subjects and uh i'll be back again on uh, on sunday and thanks for the, the clapping and the thumbs up th that I see. I really appreciate uh, that you stayed with me uh, this, uh, this, whole, uh, this whole journey of this evening. Thanks so much, guys. Hope to see you all tomorrow. Bye-bye.